I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 12. I want to look at verses 7 to 11. What I'm looking for today is a corporate response, more a corporate response. I want to galvanize the church, organize the church for warfare. Warfare is coming, it's inevitable. We need to prepare the church for intense battles ahead of us. Uh, there are points in the sermon that are applicable for the individual. But today, what I really am after is a corporate response uh, to this message. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, it says, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, and they did not prevail. Praise the Lord. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of all, the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Now this is a remarkable description of our adversary. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. He's called the dragon. He's called the serpent. He's called the deceiver of the whole earth. Woo! Wow. And then he was cast out of the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who have accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony and that they did not love their lives even unto death. When Paul was describing the Christian life, he used two analogies. The first is a picture of a runner running a race and the second is a soldier fighting in a battle. Now, if you're not fighting a good fight or if you're not running the race, then may I ask you this morning, what in the world are you doing? I'm going to give you a few key principles to help us prepare for the coming battles that we're going to have to face. And we must remember that the whole objective of, of warfare is victory. Amen. No army goes into battle uh, looking to lose. Amen. We fight to win. And Paul refers to our fight as the good fight, not just because our fight is a just cause, but also in the end, the church of Jesus Christ will become triumphant. Amen. Now the whole object of warfare is victory and the object of victory is occupation. The man-child will rule the nation with the rod of irons. Now the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation describes a war that is going to take place in the near future. It is a war that's not going to be fought on earth. It's going to be fought in heaven. It's a war that's not going to be fought by men. It's a war that's going to be battled, fought by the angelic armies seeking to dominate the heavenly places. It is a war that will involve the great prince of Israel, Michael the archangel. And I'm convinced that Michael is looking forward to this assignment because if you recall in the, in the epistle of Jude, Jude explains that there was a time when Moses had just died and the body of Moses was being contended by Satan and by Michael the archangel because God was going to return my, uh, uh, Moses at the end of the age. He's coming back to be a witness to Israel. So his body had to be preserved and they were fighting over the body of Moses and, uh, and Michael said this to, to Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Uh, he was not to revile. He was not to castigate. He was not to mock Lucifer. Both were archangels. Both were of equal rank. And there was a sense of respect, a sense of decorum. And uh, Michael had to show great restraint and respect for his peer. 
But in Revelation chapter 12, when the war commences, I can tell you this for sure, Michael will no longer show any more restraint or respect for Lucifer and the assignment given to him and the host of warring angels is to sweep the heavens clean of Satan and his army. By the time the war is over, there will not be a single fallen angel left in heaven, neither a single trace of Satan's influence in heaven. The accuser will be banished from heaven. Hallelujah. Now Lucifer is going to try and fight, but he knows he doesn't stand a chance. He knows that he's going to get a whopping, as we say, and an entire lot of them will be cast out of heaven. They will fall, the Bible says, onto the earth and woe to the inhabitants of the earth for the devil has come to you. My friends, you better make sure you're not around when that happens. Now, if you think things are bad today, wait till we're in post-Revelation 12. Every demon, every fallen angel will inhabit this planet and we will see an escalation of violence, of corruption and iniquity, the likes of which we have never seen on planet Earth before. It would make the Holocaust seem like kindergarten. I tell you this, that's why Jesus said, if he didn't shorten the days, no flesh shall be saved. I say all that to you just to say this, make sure you are not here when that happens, amen. Now God's army is hierarchical and uh, well-organized. There are various ranks and positions just like earthly armies. The archangel Michael is the head of all the warring angels. And I'm assuming that there are other warring angels that are sent to protect the heirs of salvation. Elijah the prophet said, there are more with us than against us, hallelujah. John says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. David said in Psalms 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. You get the point. We have more with us than against us, amen. Now, there are archangels, there are captains, and under them a, pr a proper chain of command, but there are also a myriad of ministering angels that are dispatched to minister to the heirs of salvation. Hebrews chapter one and verse 14, they protect us. They watch over us at all times. And also there are angels that are sent to create opportunities for us to share the gospel. If you remember that Philip was in a revival in the city of Samaria, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, instructed him to go down to a desert road where he would meet an Ethiopian official, a high-ranking Ethiopian uh, 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 diplomat, and he would lead the man to Christ, hallelujah. And that would open the gospel to all of Ethiopia. Every time, listen, you pray for your loved ones. Every time you pray for your family members, angels are immediately dispatched to work on your family members, on your loved ones. Because when you get saved, even if you're the only person in your family who's a believer, the moment you get saved, it is the will of God to save all your family. That's His will. And the moment you start praying for them, and that's why we need to bring them up before the Lord every single day, pray for them. The moment you pray for them, the, whole, the angels are dispatched to minister to them and they will bring them to a place somewhere in the future where they would have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if your loved ones, your family members say no to the gospel, the angels will start the whole process all over again to bring them to another point in the future where the gospel, they never get discouraged. They don't know what discouragement is. All they know is an assignment is given to them and they will keep on plotting on that assignment. How many of you are glad those angels? How many of you have ever read in the Bible where the Lord speaks to an angel and the angel says, I'm so discouraged. They don't get discouraged. They don't get discouraged, amen. So we need to keep praying for our loved ones, amen. 
Now, one of the main things that we need to recognize is that the Holy Spirit monitors all movements here on earth. He's omniscient, He's omnipotent, omnipresent. He's the great restrainer. And He's always two steps ahead of the devil. I tell you this, my friends, this is a statement worthy of all acceptance. The Holy Spirit can never be outwitted by the devil. Hallelujah. When the Holy Spirit picks up uh, satanic activity in an area, say against a local church or against the pastor, to preempt the enemy, what the enemy is doing, he dispatches warring angels to protect the heirs of salvation and deal with the problem before they become a problem. These angels do not come and go as they please. They do not speak until God tells them to speak and they are completely submitted in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now, it is true that Satan has a formidable army, but God's army outnumber, outnumber them two to one at least, amen. And Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He does not know what's gonna happen in the future. All he knows about the future is what he reads in the Bible. And he knows that he has but a short time before his doom is sealed. He's going to do all he can to try and thwart as many of God's plans as possible. He seeks to distract, slow down whatever God is doing here on earth. But the Holy Spirit watches everything. He monitors everything that's going on. And I said this before and I'll say it again to drive him to the point. And whenever he sees an increase of satanic activity in a particular area, he dispatches angels to straighten out the situation. For instance, how many of you have spoken to somebody who was seriously contemplating suicide. And when you went to talk to them, all of a sudden they realized God loved them and they said, you know, I was thinking about killing myself, but because you spoke to me, I've changed my mind. That's the Holy Spirit preempting a, a potential disaster sent you to deal with it, hallelujah. Now many of us have dreams at night and I tell you, if you don't take your dreams more seriously, you will not go to war with them. You will not go to war. You gotta be take, you gotta take your dreams more seriously. Sometimes in dreams, God shows you a, a loved one, a person. All he's saying to you is pray for them. Amen. I've seen people in coffins. I don't get scared. In the morning I wake up, I realize their lives is, is in trouble. Pray for them. Hallelujah. Intercede. If you will intercede, if you will get up and start praying for people that you see in your dreams, what's gonna happen is you're gonna preempt many potential disasters and you're gonna be part of the redemptive process. Come on, hallelujah. Now, we also need to recognize that there is a timeline for the devil on this planet. One time Jesus was casting out a demon and the demon spoke to Jesus. He said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Have you come before the appointed time? What is this appointed time? What is it that demons know that we don't know? They know that they have an appointed time. The time that they have left on earth is limited. That this earth was created and, and not given over to men, but it was leased to us. And when Jesus returns, He's gonna take back, the lease will expire. He's gonna come back and He's gonna take back the earth. And He's not returning with the harpists and with the shofar blowers. He's returning with the armies of heaven. Come on, like someone preacher said, He's returning with the enforcement committee. Woo, amen. And when He returns, just one angel, one angel is dispatched to deal with Satan. He's bound cast into the bottomless pit for the next 1,000 years, good riddance, hallelujah. But until that appointed time, the angelic is not to destroy Satan, but to scatter his forces and keep the demonic in abeyance. 
I don't know if this is a good illustration, but in our homes, we have floor traps. You know what a floor trap is? And there are cockroaches in those floor traps. In every floor trap, there are cockroaches. Cockroaches hide in dark places. Once in a while, the cockroaches will come out. And when they come out, they will know it's time to meet the maker. Hallelujah. If they come out of the house, that's it. You're going to meet your maker. If you stay in the pit, we'll leave you there. But if you have the guts to come out, then we've got to deal with it. It's like in the church. If the demons don't manifest, we leave them. But if they start manifesting, we'll deal with them. Am I right? Okay. Once in a while, my family, we get a little antsy. We make a little raid into the, into the bottomless pit. Hallelujah. We make a raid and we, we spray and spray, you know, and then we wait. In three minutes, all the cockroaches will start coming out. One by one. Ta, 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 ta. We kill all of them, right? Just to show that we are in charge. Hallelujah. <laughs> but it's interesting that whenever these cockroaches appear, everybody runs. It's like there's such a fear of cockroaches. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all you need to do. Hallelujah. <laughs> I run, I'll just be honest. <laughs> and I see a cockroach, Daff, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> now we're entering into season like no other. There's a season of war and the church must be mobilized, galvanized, for battle. This is not a dry run. This is not a drill. We're in this for real. Amen. And we need to learn how to move in tandem with the angelic army. I love what the Lord said to David. David was fighting the Philistines in the valley of Rephaim. And David was, he said, the Lord said, go and wait at the mulberry trees. And he says, when you hear the rustling of the leaves, he said, my army is on the march. He said, when they are on the march, move forward, move in tandem with the heavenly army. Amen. Now, We've got to learn how to interact with the angelic. And the reason I say this is because I believe that the angelic doors and gates of heaven are open. And as we approach the last days, we're going to have more and more interaction. Many times over the last few weeks, I've been standing on my pulpit. I feel a hand behind me. I feel a hand on my back. Many times. And I realize someone is here, someone is standing here. There's an energy that comes when I'm on the pulpit. Because the angels, they come and they energize the speaker. So we've got to recognize their presence. Amen. Now the few things we must observe. Number one, we're not to pray to them. Nowhere in Scripture do we find this. Our prayers are directed only to God. There was a man that in the Bible called Manoah, whose son was later on going to be Samson. The wife of Manoah has an encounter with an angel. The angel appears to her and tells her all about the son that she was one day going to bear. She runs back, tells her husband. The husband comes, angel is gone. He doesn't pray and say, angel, can you come back? He prays to God and God sends the angel. We don't pray to angels, we pray to the Almighty God. And He moves the angels. Number, number two, we're not to command them. They don't take orders from us. They're not our servants. They're God's servants, God's messengers. And they only do His bidding. I shudder when I hear sometimes ministers of the gospel you know, bossing and ordering angels around. We have no authority to do that. Number three, we must never, never worship them. They are created beings just like us. Jesus said, the Lord, you shall worship alone, hallelujah, and Him alone you shall serve. Paul wants the false worship of angels in Colossians 2.18. Number four, we must not major on them. Whether it's angelology or whether it's demonology, the focus of our attention is on Christology, hallelujah. 
We must not be over fascinated with the angelic realm. Why is this important? Because as we approach the end, there's going to be a lot of interaction. I just say this and I say it again. The angel gates have been opened and we're going to be interacting with them. Number five, we must, we sometimes can mistake them. Sometimes angels come in disguise, which is why we are told to be hospitable to all people at all times because in doing so, we have some of us entertain angels unaware. If they appear to us in their original form, I think it's going to freak us out, all right? Number six, we must not misrepresent them. Their logo is not the lightning or the hammer. <laughs> their logo is not the elephant or the donkey. He is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah, amen. They do not come to take sides. When we pray for the leaders in our parliament, we pray for those in authority. We don't pray for who will come in. That's God's department, amen. I know this uh, nation right now is in a bit of a turmoil. July was a terrible month for the ruling party. So many things happening. And it's our job to pray for our nation so that the nation is stayed on course. What is the cause that we would be in Antioch for Asia? That's the goal. And when Joshua was spying out Jericho, he encountered a man with a drawn sword. That, ain't, that, that, that man was an angel. He wasn't an epiphany of the Lord, no sir. And he said to the angel, he said, are you for us or against us? I think he was just being, he doesn't want to be presumptuous. The angel said to Joshua, I'm not for you, I'm not against you, I'm not for them. But as the, cap as an, as the captain of the host, I've come to aid you, hallelujah, to do God's bidding, amen. Number seven, we must respect them. When a massive Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah, Hezekiah cried out to the Lord and the Lord dispatched just one angel and he slays 185,000 Assyrians. They are mighty and we must accord them respect that they deserve. I say all that to say that the earthly army must work in tandem with the heavenly army. Effie Marsh explains that there are three enemies that we must contend as believers, internal, external, infernal. They're called the triple alliance. The world, the flesh, the devil, the enemy around us, the enemy in us, and the enemy above us. The internal enemy is what we call the flesh, and the flesh is a very formidable enemy. The only way to deal with the flesh, it has got to be crucified. And this is one prayer that I pray every morning, Galatians 2.20. Lord, crucify me to the cross. Crucify my flesh so that it has no power over me whatsoever. The second uh, external enemy is the spirit of the world. This is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. These things pull on your five senses. They work on your soul all the time. The things and they pull you away from God. And the thing that overcomes the spirit of the world is faith. Hallelujah. It's what J John tells us. It's our faith that overcomes the world. But the third enemy is what I want to deal with today. So if you, give, if you give me the last next 10 minutes or so to talk about this infernal enemy that is the devil and the host of spiritual wickedness under his command. One of the fundamental doctrines of war is no general goes into a battle without first knowing his enemy. You got to know what you're up against. Jesus alluded to this principle when he said, if you're about to set up for battle, you got 10,000 soldiers, but you hear that your enemy has got 20,000 soldiers, then you got to rethink whether or not you have what it takes to overcome your enemy. Because many times in the history of warfare, 
You know, we tended to underestimate the will of the enemy to fight. This happened again and again in America, right? Uh, you know, you fought in Vietnam. Who was a, They were a ragtag army, but they lost in Vietnam. They lost in Afghanistan, although they were the, by far the superior army because they didn't factor in the will of the enemy to fight to the death. In spiritual warfare, we often make two fundamental errors. Number one, we underestimate the enemy to our detriment. And number two, we overestimate the enemy and in doing so, underestimate the power of God. It's very vital for us to know who we are battling and how they're strengthened, how, what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses. And if you've been in ministry long enough, you will soon realize that we have a very formidable foe who's out to resist us at every point in our lives. They, are, they hate you. They hate your family. So you might as well fight back. Fight back. Amen. Don't let them ride roughshod over you. Don't let them trample over you all the time. Fight back. Amen. Satan's army is structured on a hierarchy. When Lucifer fell, he rebelled against God and he took one third of the angels in heaven with him and they're organized in a very proper chain of command. Now, the whole of Satan's army is structured on a pyramid of power, on a hierarchy of power, and they range from attacks to individuals to angels that dominate entire geographical locations to angels that control ideologies that dominate the whole world. Now, what I think is that there is just enough in the Bible for us to know how the enemy operates because the Lord does not want us to be ignorant of his devices, but he does not want us to be caught up with them either. Amen. We're not to be experts on demonology. Amen. But we just need to know enough how to war with them. At the top of the pyramid is Lucifer. His name was called the light bringer, the Halel ben Shaka. Even in heaven, he was very conspicuous as an angel. Martin Luther says, on the earth, there's none as equal. He was a very spectacular, very beautiful angel. He was a cherub that covered one of the seats of God. And when he was created, the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, that God fitted his body with musical instruments. He was probably one of the worship leaders of heaven. That's why it's so important we have anointed worship leaders. Hallelujah. His fall is recorded in Isaiah 14. Five times Lucifer said, I will, I will. He wanted to usurp the throne of God. He wanted equal rights, equal position. He wanted to be the same as the living God, the Almighty God. And this is the battle of the ages. Five times he said, I will. It's the great I will versus the great I am. Hallelujah. Will we submit to the great I am? He tried to usurp the throne of God, eroded faith in the established leadership, caused great divisions among the inhabitants of heaven. And that's why God frowns on insurrection. He frowns on subversion of leadership. The thing He hates most is when people challenge the authority that He has set in the church. A challenge of the authority in the church is a challenge of God Himself. And I don't say this to protect myself, amen. One third of the angels was swept in the rebellion. Wow, it's a lot of angels. Two thirds remained faithful. And those angels, they know it was God's mercy that covered them. That's why I think in the mercy seat, you have these two cherubim with their wings outstretched, representing the two thirds of the angel that were preserved and protected by God. That's why it's called the mercy seat. 
The Lord referred to Lucifer as Satan. Adversary, it means adversary. But he's also called the devil. And the word devil is the Latin word diabolos. And the word dia gives the idea of penetration. The devil is always looking for some entry point. Because once a weakness is identified, he's going to bang at that. He's going to seek to penetrate it until the minds and the emotions yield to him. You've got to watch that. That's why put on the whole armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation because he keeps banging at those areas trying to find a weak point where he can come in. The good news is that at the cross, Jesus completely defeated and humiliated Satan. Come on, amen. His power is strictly uh, restricted and limited. And uh, you know, there are four stages of Satan's defeat. At the cross, number one. At the, number two, when he's cast out by, the, by angel uh, Michael. Number three, when at the Lord's coming, when he's cast into the abyss. And finally, at the end of the millennium, he's cast into the lake of fire where he'll be joined by the false prophet and the Antichrist, he will be totally humiliated. Amen. For all the beauty that he once possessed, ladies and gentlemen, just remember, he is a branch that has been severed from a tree that is withering as we speak. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us a peek into, into his pyramid of power. And I'll close with this. The highest authority of his kingdom is principality. It's the Greek word arche or prince or chief. Daniel gives a, a peek into the realm of the spirit, how these fallen angels operate. Behind every emperor, every despot, every king is a fallen angel or a good angel. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible tells us that behind the godly king Cyrus, a Persian king, he was a secular king. There was the angel of the Lord who was energizing the king. And behind these false, uh, these empires like Greece and Persia, there were other fallen angels that were energizing. I'll tell you this, behind every leader of every nation is an angelic being, good or bad. And that's why we need, we need to pray for this nation, amen, that the good angels stand with us, hallelujah. Every emperor, king, despot is upheld by an angel or a fallen angel. It's, it's in our theology. Amen. Now these principalities have great power and we must remember that they were created before us and that they are stronger and superior to us and we must not presume to try and take them on or challenge them. My spiritual father, Brother Bailey, said if you hit an angry man, he will hit you back many times harder. A man came up to me yesterday. He told me, he said, Pastor, can you tell the service tomorrow? He had no legs. No legs. He's got two prosthetics. He said, do you want to know why I have these prosthetics? I, my, I lost my legs because I foolishly challenged a principality. I was in the Philippines. I had a series of meetings. Went, went very well. I was a young pastor very ignorant and very silly. After the meetings were over, we had dinner at the pastor's house. There was a field outside the house. I walked out in the field and I challenged the principalities and powers because I was feeling so good about myself. I came back to the house and in five minutes, I was struck with a pain I never felt before. In the next 30 minutes, I would have gone to the bathroom, I mean, 20 times, 30 times. I was throwing up, I was vomiting, I, was, I couldn't control myself. At four in the morning, they wanted to airlift me to Manila because I was way back in the, some, some village. 
and I was dying. I felt my life being sucked out. The pastor did not know what to do. Instead of anointing me with oil at four, he said, Pastor, I've got no oil, but I do have some kerosene. He poured kerosene on me. That made me true up even more. At six o'clock in the morning when the sun came up, there was a, a bit of a reprieve and I thought, I made it. I made it through the night. I didn't think I would survive. And that's what happens when you challenge principalities. You have no right to do that. If we're going to battle principalities, because number one, God has told us the strategy. And number two, we must go together. We must galvanize the army. That's the only way. When Paul was talking about principalities and powers and challenging them, he talked about the corporate church. It takes the whole church to win a citywide war. Amen. A pastor, an individual cannot do it alone. I can tell you story after story after story of how people who have foolishly tried to take on a principality only to find their lives totally destroyed. Now Satan has many princes that come on his vast army. Very quickly, I'm going to give you a few names so you recognize them. The first is one called Belial. One of the chief princes. His name means worthlessness and how he infects a large swath of God's people. Sheba, an evil man who shed much innocent blood, killed 70 priests in the days of David, was called the son of Belial. The two sons of Eli, wicked, profane men, were also called sons of Belial. Number two, Beelzebub. He's sometimes referred to as the dung god or the lord of the flies. He's the prince of demons. He is uh, the one who draws out the filthiness of the flesh. Then number three, we have a false god called Baal, small l, Lord. His constant scourge on the children of Israel. The children of Israel forsook. Did you know in Numbers, they forsook the living God. They said, we want to divorce from you because we want to marry this God called Baal. He's a false husband. Number five, number four, Apollyon. He's mentioned in the book of Revelation. He's the king of the bottomless pit. And he's the one who leads a massive army that descends from the abyss. His name means destroyer. Chemosh, he's the god of the Moabites. Children who offered to him as a sacrifice. And I believe he's the spirit behind abortion today. Leviathan, he's an unusual entity that appears four times in scripture and often described as a sea creature. But really, it's a powerful fallen angel that's often associated with water. One of the interesting things about how Paul described our warfare, he said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principality. We don't box with them. You know, boxing is from a distance. Wrestling is close contact. It's the most intense form of warfare in Paul's day. And when Paul wrote about the principalities and powers, he was alluding to the idea that it takes the corporate church together in unity at that level of warfare. Paul was mobilizing the whole church to come against Satan's hierarchy. Come on. And that's what we're doing today. The second level, very quickly, of his hierarchy is powers. The Greek word is asusia, where we get the word authority. They operate in heavenly places. While I cannot fully ascertain what they uh, control, I think that these fallen angels have control over patents, thought patterns, philosophies, political ideologies, academia, communism, and things like this. The next level is rulers of darkness, Crosmocrato, and it's a, it, it's a world power. And I think that these spirits control global influences like drug addiction, nicotine, 
alcoholism, homosexuality. And then you've got the host of spiritual wickedness in high places, uh, pneumaticos poneria. It's a word for malignancy. And I think that these are a host of angels that do the bidding of more powerful uh, fallen angels. And I assume cancer is one of the malignant spirits that are mentioned here in the host of wickedness. Lastly, and I close with this, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians that Satan has the ability to transform himself into an angel of light. It doesn't stop there. He says that if he can transform himself, it is an easy thing for his servants to transform themselves into ministers of light. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be very careful in these last days. There's going to be a lot of deception. Jesus warned us about this deception. It is coming. He warned us again and again and again. It's right throughout the Bible. We have to be careful. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Amen. We've got to be very careful about deception because it's trying to come into the church and uh, pastors and leaders must be watchful at all times. We are the shepherds of the house. Keep discernment strong. Amen. Amen. And I'll close with this. Discernment is the nose. It's the nose. It's smell. Spiritual smell. You can smell demons. You can smell, you know, sometimes somebody comes to you with body odor. You can, it's easily to pick up. And it's the smell. It's like cockroaches. God has given me an anointing to smell cockroaches. I walk into a room. I said, there's a cockroach here. Surely, they will manifest somewhere. They all are, they're hiding in the dark, but they will come up. But you know, God has given me this just ability, this uncanny ability. I can smell cockroaches. And I believe God has given this church discernment. We need to have discernment in this house. Amen. So that we're never outwitted by the enemy. So that we're not deceived. Amen. Please stand with me. Please stand with me. Luke 11 says, When a strong man fully armed, guards his own palace. His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than him, whoo, that's our Lord Jesus Christ, comes upon him and overcomes him, takes him away his armor in which he trusted, divides his spoil. We must measure all our results in spiritual warfare by how much we loot the enemy's camp. Come on, at Silvoso. When the church prevails over a principality, over a power, then whatever has been bound by them, has become spoiled. Hallelujah. Amen. We must learn to hear the rustling of the leaves of the mulberry trees. We must learn the, the dance of the double camp. Mahanaim. That's where David was. Hallelujah. Mahanaim. That's where the two camps meet. The camp of the redeemed and the angelic camp. Hallelujah. The angelic gates have been opened, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Angels ascending and descending on Jacob's ladder. Our God is Jehovah Sabaoth. It's the most common name that God has known in the entire Bible. In your Bible, it's translated the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabaoth. It is translated the Lord of the angelic armies. Woo! Hallelujah. He is the commander. There is a release of angelic armies, silver cornerstone, angels of fire, angels of healing. I want you just to lift up your hands. We're going to pray together. This is more corporate response today. I know there are things that can be applicable in your life. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to thank the Lord, please. Thank the Lord. How many times, how many times you could have been in danger and God saved you? Come on. Thank the Lord. Lord, thank you that your angels protected me in a terrible 
uh, what could have been a terrible car accident. Come on, just thank the Lord right now. Just be grateful for the many times. I don't know how many times. Woo! How many times I can feel the hand of the Lord protecting me. Six inches away from the car, all of a sudden the Lord says, press the brakes. Woo! Hallelujah. I should tell you this story. It's just one minute. Bear with me. Many years ago, my family was on a fishing trip. We were parked about 75 meters from an island called Lazarus. I didn't know at my age, I just had a big breakfast, but I was a swimmer. So I said to my family, I'm going to jump into the water and I'm going to meet you at the Lazarus Island. You just take the dinghy and meet me there. I jumped into the water, I started swimming. Halfway, I started drowning. I, I started panicking because my asthma kicked in. This is many years ago, I, I've been healed by, of asthma. But in those days, I had asthma and I started, um, I couldn't breathe and I started drowning and I panicked and I looked at the boat. My wife, I could see my wife all the way, about 30 meters away. I shouted at her, help, help, help. I was failing, my, my hands were flailing like this. She looked at me, she says, hello, hello. She didn't hear what I was saying. I said, oh God, I'm in trouble. I'm going to drown. I saw the shore, I saw the boat. I said I had more chance with the shore. So I, every breath that I took was almost, I mean, I'm telling you, I don't know how. I said, God, please, I'm not ready to meet you yet. I'm not ready to die yet. This, my life is still ahead of me. And I started swimming towards the shore. It was the most difficult thing. I could hardly breathe. I could hardly keep my head above the water. And I remember just saying, God, every breath that I breathe, I said, God, please have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. And my feet touched the ground. I crawled out of the water. I couldn't even stand. My face was white when my brother saw me. And I tell you this, God saved me from certain death. And I give thanks to Him. I give praise to Him. There was a, the, the devil tried to kill me in the water, but God had mercy on me. What's the lesson? Don't have breakfast before you swim, hallelujah. Now what's the lesson? Cover yourself at all times. Please, take this seriously. Take this seriously. We have an adversary that hates us. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. Father, I thank you that number one, there is a release of the angelic here in Cornerstone. I know it, Lord. I thank you, God, that there has been a release over the last few weeks, Lord. We've been sensing an increase in angelic activity. I thank you, God, that the cloud of witnesses are also in this room, Lord, watching, Lord. Uh, prophets have been seeing different ones, Lord, in the services, Lord, in Cornerstone, just watching what's happening because uh, of the things that we are saying right now, the prophetic things that we're being saying, Lord. And I thank you, God, that you have released them to a Shandara Bahanda. Lord, I pray for the angelic army to march with the earthly army here in Cornerstone, Lord. Teach us to march in step, Lord, in lockstep and in tandem with the heavenly army, the dance of the double camp, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord. Teach us to hear the rustling of the leaves of the mulberry trees, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to learn how to war. Teach us 
to be a fighting unit, Lord, hallelujah, here in Cornerstone. And I speak and I ask you, O God, that you would station a battalion of angels here in this house, hallelujah, that Cornerstone will be a forward base, operating base uh, for your kingdom, hallelujah, Shindaraba. Lord, I thank you that the warring anointing is upon us, Lord. There is an anointing of the tribe of Judah over this house, and I prophesy over this house in Jesus' name that you will raise up mighty champions, hallelujah, Shanda, like David, Lord, that will with one stone kill the giant, hallelujah. Shindaraba. So my friends, every giant you kill, you become like, hallelujah. You take uh, on the, the name, you take on the part, the, the spoils, hallelujah. We must grow in our victories, hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Shandaraba. Come on, just pray in tongues for a few moments. We're going to close right now. But I just, before I just want you to, before we close, just pray, hallelujah. In the spirit, hallelujah. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.